You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Um, we're actually taking a break from the current series that we're in called Body Life, and um, I'm, I'm dipping into something that I really felt in my heart compelled to do um, because of the timing of the year and because of some things that have been happening in our country um, that are extremely um, upsetting, right? I mean, goodness gracious, I mean, we're not, we're not going to go deep into that, but we see some things in our country that we don't understand, we see some things in our country that we can't quite make sense of. And the tendency as believers, and this morning this conversation is not just for those of you who have asked Jesus Christ into your life, uh, made him Lord and Savior of your life, it's for everybody. But the tendency is to try to turn a lot of the arguments that we face by what we see in our society into things that become religious arguments. And there's an extreme danger with that. But I believe that God actually gave an answer for that. And so I'm going to do my best this morning to talk about two celebrations, two feasts, two festivals that God commanded the Israelites to celebrate that just happened at the end of September. We're going to talk about one today and then one next week. The first one that we're going to talk about is called Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. And that would have been celebrated on September 20th through the 22nd of this year of last month. And it would have started something that is considered to Jews to be the high holy days. It's the beginning of a 10-day period of time that ends with a second festival, a second feast called Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. And that happens on the 10th day. And that's celebrated by 25 hours of fasting, prayer, and repentance. When we read Scriptures like Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. This is a correlation to this idea that God commanded the Israelites to celebrate between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Because as we're going to see today, what happens is, is this. When God is intent about bringing His people back to Himself, who by their own fault or by the fault of something else have been separated from his heart. Now, just a quick contextual history lesson concerning Israel. Over and over again, Israel forgot God's commands and they fell away, what we would call fall away from God. They were exiled. God allowed foreign invaders to come in and to pull them out of their country, to pull them out. But the amazing thing is this, because we're going to talk about God's truth. We're going to talk about God's judgment today. We can't escape it. And it's very much a nature of who God is. Now, and this is something else I want to say before we get into this. There is another reason why we need to understand this. is because if we don't understand the character of God, our issue will become is that we will conform Jesus Christ into our own image. And there's a, problem, there's a problem with that because Philippians 2 says, Jesus Christ, he, who, he Himself being the very nature of God. Jesus did not come to become something counter to who God was. Jesus is God. And He testifies to the character of God. But what we're going to see today through the beauty of these two feasts 
is we're going to understand how Jesus Christ completed them, but we're also going to see the amazing truth and the amazing righteousness of our King and our Creator. The one who establishes and sets things new. But we are also going to see the great, great, great grace and goodness of the King. Hallelujah. Because the scriptures tell us something that I want you to anchor yourself in today before we get started. It is the goodness of God that draws us and leads us into repentance. See, God first reveals his goodness and he invites Israel and, by the way, us into a place of considering who he is. Drawing near to him. Allowing our lives to stand in the scale of the measure of the creator. Comparing that. And if we come up short to fall upon that grace to be made complete. But here's the beauty of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Because if Yom Kippur deals with restoration, and it does. If it deals with repentance and restoration. Both, listen to me here. Because God used to, I'm going to talk a lot. I want you all to please do your best to stay with me here. If Yom Kippur deals with repentance, and there are two primary vehicles that God used to talk about and talk through Yom Kippur, and we're going to see it. The very first Yom Kippur was celebrated by Moses. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and saw that Aaron, his brother, had fashioned a golden calf for the people of Israel. What did he do? Do you remember? He broke those tablets and he called them to repentance. That's the very first Yom Kippur. And every year after that, it's celebrated. It's celebrated. It's celebrated. Why? Because God was bringing back His people to an understanding of righteousness and healing them in the place of their shortcoming. And He used two primary vehicles. He used the priest... And he used the prophet. And if the priest stood as the intermediate between God and man, it went this way. The prophet stood this way, laterally. And dealt with the sin consequence between man to man. Talked about justice and the restoration of a land. Because God understood in order for a land to be healed, man must first be right between themselves and him as individuals, themselves and him as a nation, and then as a nation, be as a people of God in a nation, be an agent of healing man to man. Do you see that? And so these two beautiful things that God ordained stand and they sit together in unison as an opportunity for us to get a hold of God's transformational power. All right. So let's talk through Rosh Hashanah really quick. So God commanded Israel to celebrate this on the seventh month of the, of the year, on the first week, the first two days. And they were to cease from all creative work. Anything that had to do with their daily lives, their jobs, they stopped doing it. They ceased from work. Instead, it was a time of prayer. It was a time of repentance. It was a time of celebrations and gathering together with family to celebrate meals. And solemn acts were performed. It falls on the very first day of the seventh month. But it is not the new year for the Jews, for the, in the Israeli calendar. It's not the new year for the, in the Jewish calendar. 
Instead, what Rosh Hashanah celebrates is this. It is the anniversary or the birthday of the universe. It is believed to be the time that God created everything that we see. Genesis 1 is Rosh Hashanah. The very first Rosh Hashanah was when God created the earth. And the purpose of Rosh Hashanah is this, is to understand the character of God in two different places. Something that we must understand. And the reason why God commanded it is this, is because yes, He is the omnipotent God. Yes, He is the ever-present God. That He is everywhere. There's not a place that we walk, a place that we go, that we are, are not with God or hidden from God. But yet God ordained special moments and times that He said, I will be close. Now what does this mean? This means this, not that God is distant on other days of the year. No, not by any means. He is always close. But what is he, he's inviting us to is this, is an opportunity for us to get close to Him. Because what we see through Rosh Hashanah is this, and the two things that unfold about the character of God as Creator and King, that God invites us to come and to lay our lives one by one before Him to see how we come up. To stand in the light of His judgment and His truth, but in the power of His goodness and His grace. The way that Rosh Hashanah was celebrated was this. Is that people stopped doing creative work. They stopped going to work. That wouldn't be bad, right? We could all handle that a little two-day uh, extended weekend. This year it fell on Wednesday through Friday. That would be quite a great break for us. But then there's something else that's very significant with these two holidays, in particular with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, is that they both started with the blowing of the shofar. Now does everybody know what the shofar is? The shofar is a ram's horn. And they blew it. They blew it 30 times to start the festival. To start this. Because this signified something. It signified the coronation of the king. See, God first asked them to stop doing everything. He said, I want you to stop from all creative work. Why? Because I want you to, I want you to honor me as the creator. And then second, he said this, I want you to start this festival by blowing the shofar 30 times. Because it was a signal to all of Israel as that blast went out that it pierced. It pierced every sound, every kind of movement. And it drew them to a halt. And it caused their attention to immediately be brought to the idea and the understanding of a king. See, when David was brought and he was made king over Israel, finally... Finally, he was anointed king, and then when he finally got the throne, after running from Saul, after all those years, after defeating the Philistines, after all these things that we read about, the scripture tells us that Israel blast the shofar. They blast the shofar. Why? Because a king came and was establishing his throne. And so God says, listen, I want you to begin to start this festival by blowing the shofar because I want you to honor me first as creator, and now I want you to honor me as king. 
And i got to say something this morning, because we're going to talk a little bit more about Creator and King God. But there is something very dear to God's heart when it comes to this idea, this larger idea of restoration in our own lives and restoration in our land, that we must yield and bend our knee to these two truths. That as Creator, He is able to make all things new. That He is able to stop that every living breath inside of you is a gift of God. And this is what Israel would do, is that they would sit and for two days, when they weren't in the synagogue, when they weren't the place of, of, of celebrating corporately, is that they would sit and they would ponder before God because they would say, every breath that is in me holds the very breath of heaven. Because they went back to the first Rosh Hashanah when God looked at Adam and said, let us make man in our image. And what did he do to Adam? He took the dust and the sand of the ground and he blew into it. What did he blow into Adam? The very life of God. And inside of that beautiful thing, There's something else that God endowed us with that we must never lose sight of. And this is something that, listen, we have got to stand in all of this. And if there's any gravity to this message this morning, it's this reality. It's this, is that if we lose the gravity of this, if we lose the understanding of this, then we will never be in a place to see the beautiful grace of Jesus Christ heal our land. And it's this truth, that in that image, God created us in free will. And the very moment that it was given to Adam, it was betrayed by Adam to the Father, to God, to the Creator. And he turned his back on that. But where does grace show up? Because even before the new covenant came through Jesus Christ, God said every year, come back to me and remember me as creator. And if you will use your free will to honor the value that I put in you, then you will begin to come under the truth that I am the one who can make all things new. All right. And so we see him as creator and then the shofar blasted. And we see him as king. And this is something that would happen is that Israel would bow its knee corporately throughout Rosh Hashanah. And they would pray and ask God. They would allow their lives to be held in the balance of the image of the Creator and then then as the King. And they would ask God to write their names in the book of life. And on that day, they believed that that one day Not the 364 days prior, but that one day. Because God promised to be near. Because God the King stood, the one who judges, the one who wastes truth, the one, the only one who is righteous, truly righteous, that He stood there and He weighed the lives of every person. And He wrote them in the book of life. And their names were either put in the book of life, they were put in the book of death, or they were undecided. And they held themselves in that position. And it led them to the place of Yom Kippur that over the next seven days that they spent 
contemplating and repenting and praying and asking God to fill them with the truth of His righteousness until Yom Kippur where they repented. And what we understand about the truth of Jesus Christ is this. And we're going to see this in just a minute. That Jesus looks at every one of us and He is the fulfillment of this truth of the King. That He comes and He stands before us. And only by His grace and only by His truth, apart from every action and every deed that we've committed, every other single hour and second of our life to this very moment, when we stand before Him, this is what He offers us, His grace. He offers us His grace. And when we see that grace and when we turn to that grace, Jesus does something that only he can do because God Almighty, listen, he coronated him as king. Is that Jesus writes our name in the Lamb's book of life. He writes our name in the Lamb's book of life. Next they would move from that and they would read from the Torah and they would go into prayer. That they would read about two particular stories in the Old Testament. They would read about the birth of Isaac and Samuel. About the birth of Isaac and Samuel. And then on the second day, they would read about the saving, how God saved Isaac when Abraham went to sacrifice him by sending the ram. And each one of these were particularly important because they reminded, they reminded them of these two truths. That God as creator was able to take something that was barren and dead, a womb, two wombs that were barren and dead, concerning Isaac and Samuel, and bring life. And they would pray and they would ask God for new life over the new year. And then on the second day when they read the story of Isaac being saved by God by sending a ram is that they understood this powerful truth that as king and Abraham's obedience to offer up his son, something that is so hard for us to understand or comprehend, but is such a powerful testimony of the truth of the very nature of God, that as king, he is the righteous redeemer who forever saves. Who forever saves. They went on from there and they shared meals and asked God's blessing for the upcoming year. And each one of the meals, there would be something dipped in honey, whether an apple or a cake, it'd be dipped in honey. And it would be dipped in honey because it, was a ask, it would be a connection for them to ask God for a blessing of sweetness over the next year. Now let me ask you this question. All these things are relatively insignificant to us today concerning Jesus Christ except for this beautiful, beautiful picture. Because even in the midst of standing before the king who judges and rules over the hearts of men, there was still an authority and a boldness to go before God and ask for grace. And ask for grace. And they did. They went and asked God for grace. Why? Because they understood him as king. As king, he is a ruler. As king, he is the ruler. As king, he is the one who guides our lives. 
He rules over our decisions. He demands that we honor Him, that we yield our life, that we bend the knee of our life to Him. When the Jews were taken over by the Greeks in the Roman Empire, there was a Jewish scholar named Philio. And Philio was trying to teach Greeks, he was a, as, as, just a, as a scholar, he was trying to teach Greeks about the political system of the Jews. But the Greeks did not have any word <clears throat> for that. They didn't have any word for the type of government that Jews had. They understood words like oligarchy and aristocracy, democracy, monarchy, tyranny. All these they had a word for, but they didn't have a word for the system and style of government that Israel possessed. And Philio came up with this word for them. It's something that we understand now, but it identifies who God is as king, and it's called theocracy. And theocracy is this, ruled by God. Ruled by God alone. And even though we saw, and if you've, read, if you've read the Bible, if you know enough about the Bible, you understand that this was always God's heart, wasn't it? For man to live under his rule. As God, he was perfect and he understood the heart of man and he ruled in both truth and grace. But we, as we read in the scripture, what we see is that Israel cried out for judges, didn't they? And so God said, yes, I'll give you a judge. But it wasn't enough. Israel cried out for a king. But a king wasn't enough. A king couldn't lead them in truth. A king pulled them away from truth and oftentimes pulled them away from God. But God's heart never left that position of being in a place to rule man, rule over man one on one. One. Theocracy isn't a subjugated thing. Theocracy is a beautiful thing. And this is something as a people of God we have to understand. I'm going to say some bold things really quick, and I want you to please hear them. As American Christians, I want you to understand this. Is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ here as an American citizen, that you are not ruled over by the, the government of this country. That's not your highest authority. You're not subjugated to democracy. I'm not telling you that you can break the rules. Certainly you cannot break the rules of this land. Not as a God-fearing Christian. But the thing that we all must be conscientious of, that we all must pay attention of, is this truth. And we see it here, first at Rosh Hashanah, where God shows up and says, I am king. That he is the ruler of our heart. That we have never left theocracy. That we are still a people when we've come under Jesus Christ where God rules our heart. That means if he says that we must bend or bow or yield our heart to something that requires us to humble ourselves, to forgive, so that transformation can come, then we will do it. If he asks us to pray, then we will 
do it. If he asks us to love, then we will do it. If he asks us to love beyond ourselves, we will do it. Do you hear this? And this is what Rosh Hashanah teaches us. Because, listen, we can jump the gun and go to Yom Kippur. We could absolutely do it. It's not God's design. We can cry out and have as many prayer meetings as we absolutely want to and say, God, please, please, please heal our country. Please, God, do the things you need to do to heal our country. But you, we will not get there until we allow God to deal with the very nature of our own hearts. We won't get there. Because this is the pattern that God set. He said, first, I want to, Israel, I want to touch your hearts one by one with the reflection of my righteousness and my truth and the revelation of my grace and my goodness. I'm creator and I'm king. I am creator and I am king. As creator, as creator, he is in control of our life. He is in control of our future. He is in control of our impossibilities. As creator, he is originator. It's his breath that fills us, that gives us value, that gives us life. Without it, we have nothing. Now listen, as creator, he values his creation. He values his creation. One of the greatest things that was seen from looking at God as creator and celebrating the birth of creation was this, is that in love, God created man. In love, God created man. Do you see these two very powerful and separable truths? Is that there is something of the very nature of God's heart that continually pulls him to man. He sees the value in us. He understands no matter how maybe messed up you think your life is, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He understands that you were designed, formed, and fashioned in a womb before you took your first breath, that you were given life, that you were given value, that you were given worth, that you were given a future, that you were given destiny. It was all marked in you. God sees all that. And when we stand before God as king and as creator, it allows us to shake off some of the silliness, maybe sinfulness, maybe stuff that's getting us stuck, maybe the wrong thinking, to shake all that off, to break all that break all that off in the light of his grace as creator. As creator, as creator, he sees us in love. Justin, come on up. I just want to close with two more thoughts because I want us to be able to see Jesus Christ through this. We see Jesus in different aspects of Rosh Hashanah. The first is this, I've mentioned before, is the book of life. Every feast and every festival, there's seven of them that God appointed in the Old Testament. It's a beautiful study. I want to encourage you to go through it, to study this information on your own. It's easily accessible. It's wonderful to study. But everything that we see, everything that we see through these things, and I want to tell you something else about these feasts and these festivals, is that they precede the law. They precede the law. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Because here's what God said. When he created the moons and he created the sun, and he said, listen, I'm giving you these things. I'm marking the days. I'm marking the moons. 
as a way for you to understand, as a marker of feasts. And so when we learn and when we understand these things about the celebrations and the feasts and the festivals that God had appointed for Israel to celebrate, here's what we see. And they follow, they follow a calendar. They follow a cycle. And God appointed these things because he never wanted Israel to fall and get too far away from the picture of his character. He knew, he knew that by putting free will in the heart of men, that there was an opportunity and a chance that man would choose something else. That man wouldn't choose, that man wouldn't choose God. And certainly man didn't. Right out of the gate. And none of us would have. But God didn't create a plan B. Jesus Christ wasn't a plan B. See, God understood. And He understood not from the nature of us. And I want you to hear this this morning. It's because all these things and what we see even uh, through Jesus Christ and Rosh Hashanah, all these things are not because of us, it's because of God. And this is the beautiful grace that we see through God measured out in Jesus Christ that we're going to see in just a second is this, is that even in spite of God knowing that we wouldn't choose Him, even though God knew that, even though God knew we would fall short, more than that, He knew that He could not be far from us. That He would have to find a way in His truth, in His righteousness, in the fact that He cannot tolerate sin to still be close to us. And each one of these festivals that we see celebrated, they all point us to Jesus Christ. Because the only way that your name is written in the book of life is not measured off of one day and a celebration on one day and whether or not you've done good works and whether or not you've been good on that one day. But the Scripture tells us the only way your name is written in the book of life is by trusting in Jesus Christ the atoning sacrifice, the one who redeemed you and I from sin. In Revelation 13, 8, it says this, All those names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. This is John's revelation talking about the difference to those who trusted in Jesus and those who didn't. And he says, and he gives this, this deep warning, he says, if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have not put your faith in the atoning work of the cross, then your name is not in the Lamb's book of life. But if you have, I want you to rest assured that there's nothing that will blot it out. There's nothing that will remove it. Why? Because he is the Lamb that was slain from what? The creation of the world. What does that speak to? That speaks to the very first Rosh Hashanah. That he was there at that day. And God being one, the three in one, understood that if we create man in our image, he has a choice. But we love him as our beloved. I cannot stand being away from him. And therefore, the work of Jesus Christ stood outside of time. And he was a lamb that was slain that anybody who would trust in his name, that their name would be forever sealed in that book of life. 
the shofar and the announcement of the king also speaks to Jesus Christ. Not only is Jesus Christ the king who reigns now, but one day he will be the king who reigns forever and ever as the returning king. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it says this, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is what this scripture says about King Jesus. That God exalted him. That the de- death in the grave couldn't hold him. But God exalted him. He put him at the very highest place. But there will be a day There will be a day, and Rosh Hashanah points us to the understanding of this, that as creation, as those created by God, with our authority under God, that we look for the day, that we look for the day of the return of the King, that we look for the day that that trumpet will blow, that that shofar will blow, And there will be an announcement of the coronation of the king where Jesus Christ returns and he will be seated in a place in the highest place of authority. But until that day, we rest assured and we hear the blowing of the shofar in our spirit, in our heart every day as we humble ourselves before Jesus Christ and we hear the authority of the king speaking to our lives and we yield to that. There's one other thing that happened at, on Rosh Hashanah. It was called the Tashlich. Which is this, is that they would find a little body of water to go. And they would symbolically go to that body of water and they would throw their sins into that water. In Micah, Scripture tells us this. It tells us that our sins are cast into the very depths of the sea. And so they believed that. They believed that for that year that they could take and figuratively just go and dump their sins into a body of water. And in a way they would see the grace and goodness of God through this act that they would see their sins being separated, pulled off of them, forgotten, from the association of their deeds, from their lives, that it would be separated. And I want you to listen to Colossians 2, 13-15. It says this, When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, no longer is there a need to try to go and to make up for the weightiness of your sins that you feel over and over. As a matter of fact, there's no way that you can. 
There's no way that you can get free from the things that feel like they're strangling you, whether or not they're things that you've done or things that have been done to you. The shame, the condemnation, the pressure of those things, except through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus did that once and for all. Is he didn't just write your name in the Lamb's book of life and seal your future and your eternity up. But Jesus took the penalty and the weight and the sting of sin. And the scripture that we just read says this, is that he disarmed it. He disarmed the fear associated with your failures. He he disarmed the, the, the fear associated with sickness. He disarmed the fear associated with brokenness. He disarmed it. He didn't just disarm it in your behalf, but he actually took the one who originated it, the enemy. And he took authority over the enemy. And the Bible says that he made a public spectacle of him in your behalf. And today, there's just a few questions that I want to ask for us to contemplate. As we would if we were to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. Are we bringing God near to us? Are we inviting his love and truth into the most intimate areas of our life? Are we allowing him to be the king and the ruler of our heart? Are we asking the Holy Spirit for understanding, wisdom, and grace to do what is pleasing to God? Are we looking to a future filled with grace instead of a past that may be filled with brokenness and hopelessness? This is something that Rosh Hashanah points us to. It points us to this truth that God desires to fill our tomorrows with sweetness, even though our yesterdays may have been bitter. But it's only through the grace of Jesus Christ. Are we asking God for the strength to make our days before us better and not bitter? To let go of the brokenness of the past. These are the things that we have to ponder in our heart. These are the truths that we have to ponder in our heart as we stand before both the King and the Creator. As we humble ourselves, And this morning, what I'm going to invite you to do is this. Just where you sit. Where you sit this morning. To create an altar. A place between you and God. A place of consecration. This morning, maybe two things need to happen. Maybe there's some things in our life that it's time to let go of. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not here by accident. And it's so, so easy to invite and make Him the Lord and Savior of your life. Ask Him. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. He's close. But this morning, maybe there's areas of our life, and I know in my life, there's areas of my life, that as I stand and I humble myself before the King, I say, God, what am I coming up short in? There's areas. 
And there's no way, there's no, absolutely no way that I could, I could stand under the weightiness of that. That I could stand before the king in some of the areas of my life and not be totally crushed except for his grace. And let me explain it to you like this. I've got five kids. You guys all know that. And I love all my kids more than I love myself. I truly do. But there are times, especially the older ones, do dumb things. They do dumb things. I don't know why. They take after their mom. That's all I can think of. That's so not true. They take after me. And when I have to correct them, I don't go to them and I don't start blasting them. I don't tell them how awful it is. No, no, believe me, we address the issue. We address the sin. We address the problem. We even talk about consequences. But more than anything, the thing that I know, and I only know this because of the way the Father treats me, because of the way the Word says the Father treats me when He has And my life has to stand before the scales of his righteousness and his judgment. As I'll go and I'll say, listen, this is not who you are. You weren't created to act this way. You weren't created to respond to situations like this. Hey, this is hard. This is something you're going to walk through. Hey, that was really dumb. But it's not who you are. See, who you are is my son, my, my daughter. Who you are is somebody that God's given wisdom to. Who you are is somebody of strength and of character. Who you are is somebody who loves and has grace and loves people. This is who you are. It is not your failure that marks you. It's what I say about you that marks your future because you won't get up and begin to walk forward if all you see is the weightiness of your sin. But God and who He is and the character of who He is came both as King and as Creator. And as Creator, He says, you were created with value. You were created with honor. You were created with love. And that's how you're to walk. That's how you're to move. And this morning, if we come up short, if we come up in these areas, we have to fall on His grace. And as we close, as we close in prayer, let's consecrate our lives as a beginning step to say, God, is, are, you, are you moving in our country even? I want to bring this full circle back to maybe the thing at hand that we're, we're seeing in our country as we witness demonic things, truly demonic things. We say, God, are you coming back? Yeah, he's coming back. We don't know when, but he's going to come back. It may be a lot faster than any of us think. It really could be. I don't know. But until that day he comes back, he desires for every person to understand his grace. It won't happen without us. And so the conversation of restoration in our country starts with us. It starts at Rosh Hashanah. But next week, it moves over to Yom Kippur. And we're going to learn how God utterly destroys the power of sin in our behalf. So much to the point where it begins to restore relationships in our own life and 
to the place where it restores nations. God shows us this, that He is able to heal us and He is able to heal our land. He did it, He did it, He did it for Israel when they said yes. And God does it through us, through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank You this morning, Lord, as we Lord, look at Your Word as we're reminded of what Lord, these things show us. God, I thank You that we're standing before You this morning as Creator and King. And Lord, we make a place of consecration right now in Your presence, Lord. Father, if there's anything that's lacking, God, as we stand before Your presence, as we humble our hearts, immediately we turn to the grace of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank You, Lord God, where there's areas in our life, Lord, where we are not, Lord, measuring up to the value that You put inside of us. Holy Spirit, begin to pour into us Your grace in Your life and Your wisdom to help us, to help us to live to the value that You've created us. Lord, if there's people here in this house this morning that need to let go of things, that need to repent of things, Lord, as they turn to you as the righteousness, let them see you also as grace. God, I thank you for who you are, that you love us, that you created us as creator. Every breath that we have is an opportunity to honor you, to love you, Lord, to love the people around us. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for that truth. God, I thank you, Lord God, that you have called us as a nation under you, God. Lord, I pray that, Father God, those words move off of just a simple, powerful statement of our liberty, God, into the fullness of every area of our heart. God, that we would understand what it is to live under your kingship and under your rule. God, that we would make time every day, Father God, to yield our hearts, Lord, and and bow down the areas of our heart, Lord, to your authority, God. So that if you ask us to pray, if you ask us to go, if you ask us to do something, God, that we will be willing and obedient and do it. God, I thank you. It's in your goodness that you give us these moments to reset, Lord, to redirect our lives under the revelation of who you are, God. Lord, I thank you for that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Would you stand to your feet? If I can just have a couple of ministry teams come up, please. Okay. I just want to bless you as you go. And this morning we have we have some people that would love to pray with you if you need something. If there's something in your life that you need prayer for, uh, we want to pray with you. And I pray this morning that you got a glimpse of the, of the goodness of God and also the full measure of His truth, that He desires the very best for us. And even at the place, even at the place where we stop and we humble ourselves under His authority, we find the full measure of His grace and His goodness. Amen. So, Father, I just declare your blessing over every person, God. It's who you are, your great grace, your great love. I thank you for that. Bless these folks through the powerful, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Amen.